All right, everyone, welcome back to On Biblical Scholarship. My name is Eric Roseberry. I'm a pastor in Lafayette, Indiana, and a New Testament PhD student at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Joining me today is Dr. Brittany Kim. Dr. Kim currently serves as an adjunct professor of Old Testament at North Park Theological Seminary and Northeastern Seminary. She's one of the directors of Every Voice, a center for kingdom diversity and Christian theological education. And she's also the co-author of Understanding Old Testament Theology, Mapping the Terrain of Recent Approaches. Dr. Kim, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And I guess at the beginning, we'll just go back to the beginning of your own story. When did you first become interested in biblical scholarship? Well, I I grew up in a Christian home, and my mom taught me a lot of Bible stories. You know, I knew a yeah. lot uh, of about the Bible, um, but I, I wanted to go deeper. And so when I went to uh, college at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California, I studied religious studies and philosophy because I was interested in them. But then I realized that that didn't actually give me employable (laughs) (laughs) skills. Right. And so I was trying to figure out what to do after that. Um, And I thought at one point about maybe trying to teach Bible in a Christian high school. Okay. And I subbed for a little bit, but the doors did, just didn't open up, and I started to miss the uh, the intellectual environment and the questions that are asked at the undergraduate level. Yeah. So I started thinking about going back to school, and that's what led me to do a PhD. Gotcha. Early on in that process, as you're getting interested in scholarship, kind of having that interest kindled, were there any particular scholars or books that you remember really kind of exciting you or piquing your interest in these areas? Uh, Early on, it's hard to remember back that far. (laughs) (laughs) In undergrad, I I think it was just, I mean, there are particular, I remember reading Moltmann in Mm. undergrad, and that was really challenging for me in good ways. Um, but it really, it was just the the questions that we were asking and the realizing that there's just so much more as you delve into the biblical text than what you can see on the surface, especially as you start reading the texts and biblical languages. That's what I really had a hunger mm. for that, to, to delve more deeply into that. Yeah. And so eventually you end up at Wheaton for your doctoral mm-hmm. studies. What led you to Wheaton? Were you considering anywhere else? And what ultimately decided that's where you yeah. wanted to be? Uh, well, when I first was thinking about doing a PhD, I was thinking about doing New Testament. Okay. And so I, you know, knew of some of the prominent schools in New Testament and was kind of looking into their programs. And then I emailed uh, a former professor that I had had at Wheaton, Karen Jobes, mm. and asked her for advice on schools. What schools should I consider? And, um, and she mentioned that she, I, I didn't realize this, but she had moved at, uh, by that time from Westmont to Wheaton. And she said, Wheaton has a PhD program. Have you considered that? And, uh, and then part of the story here is, is that when I was first starting to think about doing a PhD, it was the first time in my young marriage <laughs> that my husband and I had to wrestle with this idea of, separate, you know, separate callings, but yeah. how, do, how do we make this work together? Because we, at the time, were in the Bay Area in California because my husband was at a church plant that he had felt God had called him to. 
and for me to do a PhD it would involve a move. And so then how do we how do we reconcile his calling with my calling? And so his initial response when I was when I was interested in school was not very positive. <laughs> but he uh he came around um as he wrestled with God about it and what that meant for his calling. Um and when I mentioned Wheaton, that that struck something for him and he felt like that seemed right. And so I actually only applied to Wheaton. And of course, for the Wheaton PhD program, you have to have a master's first. So I applied to the Wheaton MA program in biblical exegesis, hoping that I could do a PhD after that. But of course, no guarantees. Sure. I'm, I'm guessing there's some people listening who are in a similar spot where they're wanting to pursue theological education maybe in their relationship with their spouse. I know this was my story. There was several years of processing that and getting to the place where we were both on board with that. Do you have any helpful advice just over that period of time, how you were able to make that decision together and move forward together in the best way? Uh, Yeah, I think at that time we just were both seeking God for it. And uh, my husband tells the story that he was – he wasn't even praying or anything, but he just had this moment where he felt like God spoke to him strongly saying that his calling was not more important than mine. Yeah. And that he had, and, and just in a process of discerning with God, he felt like, okay, this might be, this might be the right time yeah. for us to make a move. Um, but I think now, uh, so I'm also actually a spiritual director now, mm-hmm. and the training that I've done for that has, has, um, I did a lot of work with Ignatian discernment and um, that Ignatian spirituality. And there are a lot of practices there that I think would be really helpful for discerning that kind of thing. Um, So there are things like uh, discernment circles Mm. where you gather friends, trusted friends to ask you questions to kind of help you. And you can do it together as a couple to try to help you discern what's actually going on under the surface and what's beneath, you know, some of our um, areas of resistance or questions or concerns or, or all of that and see if that can help you get to a place of being on the same page. Sure. But ultimately I think it just takes time and patience and trusting that God's going to work it out if you're both seeking him. Yeah. With these, I guess, two roles, spiritual director, Old Testament PhD, how have you seen those two roles maybe interact or relate with one another? How have they kind of fueled each other? What's the relationship between those two different responsibilities been? I'm curious. Yeah, well, the spiritual director uh, certification is new. I just received it last summer, and I haven't been doing much with it actively um, since then. But I entered into it, I would like to do spiritual direction in the future for particular directees, but, but I went into it not so much with the goal of having a lot of directees, but of using those skills in my teaching and in ministry. My husband is, uh, he's not a church plan. I mentioned he's a pastor. So in doing ministry with him, I wanted to be able to ask those kinds of questions. And I, I've been kind of wrestling with, okay, what does it mean for me to teach in a way that reflects that? And so last semester, I started introducing um, spiritual exercises at the beginning of a class that I was teaching. And, uh, and it was really powerful to see how the students 
uh, engaged with the Bible in a different way than they did in our discussions and readings and everything. Yeah, yeah, that's, I really like the integration of that. That's, to me, that's a cool thing to see, those two worlds coming together. Uh, going back to your, I guess, time at Wheaton for a second, over the course of your doctoral studies there, what were a couple of your big takeaways in terms of personal things you learned about yourself going through a PhD, more research-oriented stuff, just here's some best practices I picked up along the way. What sticks out with you from that period of time? Hmm. Yeah, well, I, if any anyone listening is an Enneagram person, I am an Enneagram type 1 uh, perfectionist. And uh, in graduate school, I did not, I was not healthy mm. <laughs> in that way. Yeah. I faced a lot of fear of failure, a lot of imposter syndrome. Um, it felt like the dissertation was this huge burden I was carrying that I was pretty sure was going to crush me. <laughs> um, so it was a really difficult time period. And I wish now that I'd had some of the tools uh, then that I've learned um, in the process of becoming a spiritual director. I wish I'd been receiving spiritual direction at the time mm. or perhaps counseling um, or both. Because yeah. <laughs> I think it would have those would have helped to give me a, a broader perspective and really to start delving into, okay, what's underneath all of these doubts and fears? Like, what am I really concerned about? And is that valid? And do the, you know, the voices in my head that are telling me all those things, are those really right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> or are, you know, do, do they really cohere with reality? I, I think I would have, I would, it would have been a much better process for me if I'd had some of that kind of help. Yeah. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I think it'd be really helpful for people to think through those, you know, particular mm -hmm. issues in their studies. But as you uh, continue to progress and now uh, you have a couple books out, your dissertation out, are there a couple of ways you've set up your schedule or just lifestyle decisions you've made to try and keep writing and research on the front burner for you personally? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think at times, so the book that I co-authored with uh, a friend, Charlie Trim, um, that was something that I, it was his idea to write it. I thought this would be a, a helpful resource. Um, and I took it on knowing that it would force me <laughs> to continue to yeah. read a lot and practice the craft of writing. Um, yeah, that was a big factor in doing it. So it, it was a worthwhile endeavor. Um, it wasn't necessarily, though, something I felt like this burning passion, I need to write this. Right. But, but I just wanted to be continuing um, to do that. Um, I think... I, I think that, you know, as you get beyond the PhD, you just start to get all of these. There's just always opportunities to write more things. And so I think the challenge for me actually is, has been over the last few years to say, okay, which of these invitations sound like good ideas? They're interesting, but I don't actually really deep down inside long to do them yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then saying no to those things so that I can keep space for the things that come up that I feel a burning desire to write about yeah. um, and also have healthy boundaries <laughs> around yeah. my time and make time for family and for ministry and for other things as well. 
Yeah, that's good. That's that's more the challenge. And then I th- I think the other what what's been a struggle for me because I've been so I have three kids ages four to nine. When I finished my PhD, I had a one and a half year old, and I didn't want to try to um, negotiate. <laughs> A full-time job and kids, so I didn't apply to jobs um, and for various reasons still haven't. So I've been in this part-time adjunct, part-time mom. I was homeschooling until this year. Um, and that, so that's, I think, a big challenge has been to try to figure out how do I, how do I have space for work yeah. that feels separate from space for family when most of the work that I do is at home and usually with kids around. Before we move to some, I guess, more advice type questions, I'm curious if you wanted to share a little bit about Every Voice. So Andrew King uh, has been on the show before, and he was able to share a little bit about it a few months ago. But yeah, for those who may not be aware of uh, the program, your role in it, mm-hmm. just whatever you would like to let people know about that, we'd love to hear a little more about it. Sure, yeah. Uh, so Every Voice is a Center for Kingdom Diversity and Christian Theological Education, and it started... Um, or the seed started in the summer of 2020 when Charlie Trim and I um, created a bibliography of work by Black Old Testament scholars. Mm-hmm. And what we discovered as we created that bibliography is that there are lots of Black biblical scholars out there, but at least in the North American scene, very few of them inhabit evangelical spaces. Mm-hmm. And so we started asking, okay, why is this the case, especially since the black church is by and large fairly theologically conservative? Sure. Why is it that most black Old Testament professors are um, at more progressive schools and probably couldn't sign a statement of faith at an evangelical institution? Yeah. And so we gathered some professors that we knew, a diverse group to talk about this and try to come up with what what we could figure out were some of the obstacles to both scholars of color teaching at evangelical institutions and what's part of the problem leading to that is students of color not doing their studies at evangelical institutions. And so out of that, we just, we realized that if we, we started thinking about what are some ways that we can move the ball forward, you know, we can't fix this problem, but how can we help create resources for faculty who want to create more inclusive environments? How can we help support minority students? And we realized we just needed um, a a more official identity as an organization to be able to to gather resources to do that. So then then we started Every Voice. Yeah. Yeah. If you're curious and learning more, uh, definitely check the website out. There's a ton of information there. We'll link that in the show notes uh, for those of you who want to check that out. Uh, turning to uh, maybe some advice for aspiring scholars, I'm sure you get this question from time to time. Someone who's considering doing a PhD, they're thinking about it down the road, not sure if it's for them. Are there a couple standard pieces of advice you give that person? Yeah, well, I I have heard a lot of professors say, don't get a PhD <laughs> because the job market is so terrible for tenure track jobs. Yeah, uh, My advice is a little bit different. Um, I, I, I think the problem with the job market is that we're just not creative enough mm. uh, about thinking about, I, I think God can use the kinds of skills that you learn in a PhD program to, to read the Bible carefully, um, you know, to understand theology. Like God, we need those kinds of skills in the church. God can use those skills. We just have to 
be open to different yeah. ways that that might look, that it might not be a standard tenure track position. So I, I think I would encourage people to, to, to really try to dig deep into why they're interested in this. Um, are, are they hoping for a specific outcome? Yeah. <laughs> Um, is their desire to do it dependent on a specific outcome like a tenure track teaching position or do they just deeply desire the learning that they will get in the program? Do they feel a sense of calling um, from God to do it? I think that's important because it's not an easy road and having that strong sense of calling will sustain you through it. Um, and then I think there's a whole lot of other factors to consider. How, if you're married, how does your spouse feel about it? Is this something that you can do together as a family? Um, you know, do you have the funds to do it? Um, is there funding for what you're for the programs you're looking into, or do you have external finances that can cover it? Because getting into a lot of debt um, for an uncertain future <laughs> yeah. can be a problem. Um, and then, and then asking people who know you well. Does it seem, you know, friends, family, professors you've had in the past, does this seem like something that I'm suited to? I, I think a lot of the discussion about PhD programs is around, am I good enough to get into these programs? Mm. And I think those are the wrong questions. It's, it's not about, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be about, uh, about that, but uh, is this the right fit? Is this something that fits with my passions and giftings and callings that God is leading me to do? Yeah, that's good. Uh, one of the things we've heard a lot about on the show is the importance of networking, especially for early scholars making connections, you know, building relationships in the in, in their field. Do you have any advice for uh, students? Maybe they're in a PhD program about to finish and they feel disconnected. They're trying to build some of those relationships. What are the some of the best ways to to cultivate? those friendships within scholarship? Yeah. Uh, well, I think going to conferences is hugely important. Yeah. I think, I mean, as an adjunct professor, I have no funding for conferences, mm. but I go to IBR SBL every year, sometimes catch part of ETS uh, because the, the connections I form there, the conversations I have there are just so important. Yeah. Um, and, and they fuel the work that I'm doing um, and they have, you know, I've developed some lasting friendships through them. And then I think also, you know, get, get connected with groups that are out there. So, um, for, for women, there's a really robust ETS women's Facebook group. Mm. That's a great way to get connected. Um, the IBR has a, a, a student group that's fairly new, um, in development, but they're doing some, some really cool things. So try to find those um, sort of specialized groups that can just help you develop some of the friendships, peer relationships, uh, mentoring relationships, and and just get you get you connected. Yeah, one of the things I always like to hear about is as you think about your own research interest over the next few years or the field that you're a part of. What are a couple of the conversations you're most excited to be a part of in the next three to five years? Yeah, well, I think the biggest one for me right now is contextual interpretation. Mm. Uh, so part of, I, I didn't mention one of the big resources that Every Voice 
um, is working on is, uh, is we have continued to develop bibliographies of works by Old Testament scholars of color, and we're turning that into a searchable database okay. so that um, students and professors and anyone who's interested can find uh, works by scholars of color on whatever topic they're, they're researching. Um, and I, as I have, it's, it's interesting looking back on my schooling um, and just realizing how few scholars of color I interacted with in mm. my research uh, or read for classes. Um, and as I've engaged more with people who are coming from different contexts, um, it's really enriched my understanding of scripture and helped me see some of my blind spots and helped me realize that I am coming to the Bible from a particular context. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think we, there's, there's often a focus on trying to interpret the Bible objectively. We want to know what it really means, but it's important to recognize that, that what we see depends in part on our, our, location and yeah. we need other people's perspectives to help us see a more well-rounded picture of what the bible is trying to communicate yeah are those bibliographies available on the website currently yeah so what okay. we have ready is on our website okay great well thank you for your work on that and uh dr tim thank you for your time today uh, before we wrap up anything you want to let people know about or make sure they're aware of before we sign off here uh I don't know, but please check out the Every Voice website. Yeah. And, and for students, too, we are starting a student group. It's still uh, in the early process of developing vision, but um, we hope to have some programs for students who are interested in growing in this area or minority students who are looking for additional support. Um, yeah, so... Thank you very much. Yeah, that's great. Like I said, we'll link to the Every Voice website in the show notes. Uh, thank you again, Dr. Tim, and thanks to all of you for listening to this latest episode. Again, you can find them all on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Make sure to rate and review the show. Hit that subscribe button, and we'll be back next week with a new episode.